episode of Into the Combine. Just Evil J here today. Just want to give a quick intro for an interview I did a couple weeks ago now, maybe more with Steve DiGiorgio. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, you should be, but he's been in a million different bands. Currently, he's in Testament. He worked on the last Megadeth album. We touched on that. But um, what we really, uh, what I really wanted to talk to him about was his time with death, working on human and individual thought patterns. And then he brought up a whole lot more history that he had with Chuck beyond that. So yeah, basically his history with death goes into tons of good stories, stuff I had never really heard before. It was just great. He was just great to talk to. So I wanted to have him on back when we did the death series and I just wasn't able to make it happen at the time. But uh, yeah, he was coming to Michigan touring with death to all, which I highly recommend you go see if you haven't and you like death. Um, But it was a perfect time to sit down. So we did it live at the venue. Um, I did bring a my normal mic that's pretty good for in-person interviews but uh, i think the battery died or something like that so we had to resort to just using the iphone but uh, yeah i mean it still turned out pretty good surprisingly audio wise um if you want to see the full video version of it we did that too uh actually have my buddy there jason from requiem metal podcast and uh, he filmed it for me real quick so yeah, check that out up on our YouTube. Uh, there's some other stuff up on there and probably will continue to throw stuff on there. But yeah, I think that's about it. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Um, all right, so we're here with Steve DiGiorgio. What's up? <laughs> right before uh, Death to All, he's gonna play in uh, Flint. Um, so the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast was we did a big death like series where I was uh, hounding like anybody I could get. I talked to Gene, talked to Rick, I talked to James, I talked to Chris, you know, and uh, but I was like, yeah, I really want to talk to Steve because, you know, the first time I heard death, um, I heard the later stuff first. Yeah. So I, you know, individual, I think was one of those early ones. And the bass playing immediately, I just hadn't heard that yet. That style of bass playing on that fretless and everything. Sure. So... Ever since then, you know, that opened up my eyes, that impressed me a ton, and I've just been a big fan. So, um, I've kind of just been going through to get like the history type stuff. Um, so, like, when, uh, like, going back with Chuck, with Death, mm. when was the first time you heard Death mm. or met Chuck? Like, when was that period? Uh, it was right when he completed the mutilation demo with Chris. Okay. Chuck had relocated to California. I don't know exactly what point, but he went through trying to find a good lineup. You know, he gave up on his on his circle there in uh, Orlando and stuff. So he came to California young. I think he dropped out of high school or something. But he went there a few people, and he ended up finding Chris, who was still in high school at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just those two guys. And um, Sadis had a demo tape that we made in 86 and on the tape was uh, Darren the, the guitar player singer but just put his phone number you know book a show whatever well we just got done practicing came in the living room smoke a do and Darren goes and answers the phone he comes back and he said hey that was a trippy phone call man uh, just a couple of dudes you know just like 10 minute driveway other town over whatever we yeah. call it uh, yeah they just they said they're in a band called Death and they like our music and they want to hang out or like <laughs> It sounded kind of weird, you know, because yeah. the name just seemed like, you know, I don't want to put anything, you know, too negative, but it just seemed like they're called death, really. Like, that's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just too obvious. Like, yeah. 
Well, we just said, fuck it. Let's go see what these, yeah. these characters are about. And it was it was really cool. We drove over to Chris's house. His mattress was leaned up against the wall. He had his drum set up, and they had a PV amp with a microphone plugged in it and whatever is Marshall, I guess, for his guitar. And it was just those two guys, and they played a few songs for us, and we were just blown away. So, because that's, yeah, at that point, had you heard, like, Possessed or anything like that? Oh, or was yeah. this like, okay, so you were already. Possessed very well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was our scene. Sure. You yeah. know, and without internet, I mean, that's all you got was whatever you were fed locally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, we were just learning about fanzines and tape training, and that stuff was really starting up. And um, and we just, they were just the two coolest fucking guys. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we found out Chuck was from Florida, and he was just staying with Chris. Mm-hmm. And, so we just started making it a kind of r- ritual to just go grab a 12-pack. And, you know, we were all about 17, 18 years old, so we had to go hide somewhere, you know, find a park or something at night where no one could see us. And we would just drink beer, smoke dudes, and just do what teenagers do, just yeah. hang out, you know. And um, since you did not obviously ask for the short version, I'll, I'll finish <laughs> no, I mean, up with this part. This is cool because it, it involves it, my – this is how it all started, though. Yeah. was uh, So – Chris, I guess his parents bought it for him or whatever. He had a brand new, huge Tama kit, like impressive kit for teenagers. You know, like okay. wow, that's a really cool drum set. And he goes, yeah, but I have to set it up and break it down every time because it's in my bedroom. You know, and, and we're like, well, you know, we got to where sadist practices. We have, you know, it's a we all set up with our stuff. It's our it's our jam room. You know, is it extra room in Darren's house? Why don't you just come put your drums in there and you guys could practice there. And um, and he goes, well, you do that? Yeah, well, you could use my drums then for Sadis practice. So the drummers worked it out where they just had Chris's set set up in the room, and then Sadis <laughs> would play. And there was four of us at the time, and then <clears throat> and we would shut our stuff down, and Chuck and Chris would come in, the two of them, and play. And we just did this kind of alternating yeah. using the practice room thing with the shared drum kit. And so naturally, I was the the pivot point there, you know, because you got guitar and vocals and drums with both bands, but I was the only bass player right. between the two. So I just started watching Chuck's hand and I would just tune my bass down to the lower, you know, death tuning and uh, just started learning it and improvising. And Chuck really liked it. Oh, this is cool, man. And it got to the point where I think we were swimming out in the pool or something. Those guys were in there and they like came out and they're like, hey, you're going to jam with us or what? I'm all. <laughs> all right like it yeah. became almost like hey where are you <laughs> yeah. so so this is real then oh yeah so we were just we were just jamming like that and then we just had this harebrained idea like well let's start doing shows you know and it was all on me to to do the dual set like yeah, i could handle it let's do it so we had all these plans to do shows and stuff but uh we never really reached that point chuck wanted to go to florida like he wanted to spend his birthday there or something and it was supposed to be a week, and after about a month, we were like, hey, where are you, man? <laughs> he didn't answer the phone for a while, but then uh, finally he just called and just said, I'm not coming back. Really? Yeah, he's just, it was hard crashing in Chris's parents' house <laughs> and without a job, and it was just, you know, at least when he was around his mom and his area where he grew up, he could find a way to get you know, Was that after Scream Bloody Gore then was uh, Right when it was recorded. That's when he went back. Right when it was recorded, right, well, right after the recording. Because one of those times we were sitting in the park at night, you know, we, like I said, we would just pick them up in, in my Chevy and we'd just go get high and stuff. And then um, they were like, so, you know, this, we're going to be gone for about a week, just so you guys know. We're like, okay, you're gone for a week. Cool. So whatever. We didn't see them. And then they come back. 
<laughs> we're just young and stupid, you know, and shy. And we were just like, <laughs> so finally, we we're just like smoking a dude. Like, so where'd you go? <laughs> oh, we went to LA. Oh, really? Fuck, it's far. That was cool. What'd you do there? Oh, we recorded the album. I recorded the album. Like, what do you mean, the album? Like, all those songs we were jamming on? He goes, yeah, sucked. I, I Chuck's, Chuck's going, like, yeah, I had to do all the rhythm guitar all the solos i had to do bass and then i had to do vocals and it was just too much and i was like well i've been, I've been jamming with you guys why don't you just ask me to go i would have done the bass and it's chris i'm like fuck told you, you should ask <laughs> really so that Man, close to funny. being on that album yeah i was just gonna say just i know he did the bass on it so i i didn't realize that you were jamming with them before that so just, you were almost just in that like kind of rehearsal room yeah. switch you know shuffle and it and we were going to do the shows, and I wasn't going to sit in with the lineup, so it felt like. But I, I don't think they wanted to impose, mm-hmm. you know, because we were best friend bands, we were buddy bands, or whatever you call it. So I don't think Chuck wanted to make those other guys feel like we're stealing your bass. Yeah. And like I said, we were 17, 18 years old, so you know sometimes that mature oh, thought yeah. present. Yeah, you just <laughs> you're shy, and you just do something, you're like, oh shit, and that's where you learn all your yeah. lessons. And, you know, and maybe it's for the better. I mean, it sounds great. You know, right. Chuck was a great musician, so. Yeah. But it's just, I, I like to get that out there once in a while because that was my, you know. Were you fucking around with the fretless at all not back that then? No, not okay. really. Um, yeah, that would be 87 or 88, right? I think Mutilation Demo was 86. Okay. The fretless started, I started to build it around, it was right before the new decade. It probably, I just, I don't really know when yeah. I started it. I got a lot of the ideas from my cousin. How so long were you playing it before Human? Had it been a while then? Not very much. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had it built. I just didn't. It just, I don't know. Yeah. doesn't really matter. What's weird it. is, that, I know, but that would have been the album for it to come out on because I brought my just standard, my Rickenbacker, just, you know, real sharp attack. It was my metal bass. And, um, and then having recruited the Senate guys, you know, they're like, oh, dude, you need to tone like John Patitucci. And, you know, they're bringing all in. <laughs> okay. And that's what changed the, you know, that whole world that they were from. They brought that in and it changed everything and it was worth it. But that's where they were thinking, you yeah. know. And, and they were like, ah, oh, your bass is just really just sharp and aggressive. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, this is still heavy metal, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So I think me and Chuck were the more of the heavy half of that, that four piece. Yeah. And even though, I mean, we, yeah, I just said that, and you're like, what? Because clearly Sean was heavy <laughs> as fuck, tore yeah. the shit out of those drums. But you know, all the, all the ghost notes and all his, uh, you know, to, uh, what are those guys named? Vinny Caliuta and uh, Dave Wackel. All those influences are coming out in that in that death stuff, and and uh, it would have been they probably would have embraced the fretless, but I just didn't. I just didn't bring it out. It was it was after Human. I went back and Autopsy borrowed me. Okay. Um, was when I finally got brave enough to plug the fretless into the studio uh-huh. board and uh, did an EP. It was my second recording with Autopsy. It was just an EP called Fiend for Blood. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was pretty sure it was 92. Something like that. And then on the following Sadus album, around the same year, I used it on a few songs on that album. Okay. So then I'm learning its quirks and I'm getting it you know, more dialed in. So by individual thought patterns this is the third time I really brought it to the studio. And, and I was very was confident in. with it yeah. and knew what to do more and, you know, just growing with it and stuff. So I, I know individual thought patterns is kind of sticks out as my calling card. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Well, 
especially because you can hear it so much more. Yeah. I mean, on, on, you know, compared to human. Well, that was Chuck's kind of like, uh, I don't know the right word. His, his, well, for lack of a better term, it was like his payback to me because mm. we had a killer session during the whole human thing. And I had to leave and go on tour with Sadis. I wasn't able to stay. Like, my stuff was recorded, but I wasn't able to stay and hang out with the guys and ride it out to the end. And because I, I think I wasn't there to kind of stand up for my decibels, I got lost in the mix. Yeah. Like, literally lost in the mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, when I got the final mix, I was, I called Chuck and just gave it to him. You know, a big earful. Did you? Like, I, why did I work all that stuff out? I could have showed yeah. up the day before and played backwards when <laughs> it would have sounded yeah. the same. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. So when he called me out to do the next one, he's like, that will not happen again. Yeah. And, and so it gave me the confidence to write stuff that I knew that would be. You know, How did you feel like when they did the, the re-recorded version, though? Like, because now you can, I mean, on the re-recorded human or the remix, the I'm sorry. Yeah, the remix. It was a, yeah. Can at least hear um, more. Yeah, I don't, I hate to say something negative about it because it is an improvement, but it's like. I don't know. I need more of that improvement. Yeah, it was sure. it was a little bit, and people people generally say, "Oh, it's better." But, but you're, I, you're I would have gone a little farther, even though, yeah. because I I'm pretty much pretty much one that initiated that because Chuck always confided in me all the time. He wanted to remix it, and he was using this huge Randall head and a rack system. A lot of the influence came from from Paul and Jason from uh, Cynic. They were using all this outboard gear and, you know, more tech and just getting into this processing. And Chuck was going along with it, thinking it was okay. the right thing to do. But he was really not happy with the guitar sound mm. on Human. He said it was just a little too, I don't know what he said. Some, some huh. to the effect of that was too saturated, too muddy in a way. Okay. And so when he told me, you know, he was sad about how the bass got lost in the mix, that he wanted to remix it for that reason. And I said, oh, well, once you have the, the tape loaded up and everything wide open again, you can... EQ that guitar better, which would be completely possible. I mean, that's what a remix does. You go down, yeah. you know, everything is exposed again. And, and he flat out said, he goes, nah, huh. I don't want to mess with the guitar. All I want to do is turn up the bass. Yeah. And, and I always kept that to myself because I'm like, how obvious is it? You know, <laughs> Chuck passes away and I'm sitting there saying, but he said, but he said, but he yeah, did, you know, yeah, and yeah. I just, I kept it to me because sure. I'm like, no one's ever going to believe me and I don't care because it ain't going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And, um, I guess uh, I guess I was kind of in one of my normal long-winded stories like this, and Eric Greif overheard, and okay. and he and he was able to find the two-inch real masters, the the you know, and mm -hmm. got it opened up, and and they did a full remix. They did tweet with a, with a lot of stuff on there, and but it was just kind of done executively. It's like yeah. here, do it. It's like they could have had somebody from the band, yeah. Somebody could have been at least just kind of like not approving the mixes, but just like being involved to yeah. where like maybe I could throw a few ideas because Jim remixed it and I get along with Jim great. He's he's an excellent studio engineer. He's a beautiful human being. I worked with him on the Control Denied and the Iced Earth and stuff. So and then what which was all after. So, you know, he would have trusted me and I think we would have got it pushed up a mm -hmm. little bit more because, you know, everyone like you said you heard individual thought patterns and that's when he first came well all that's going on on human yeah, as well yeah. you know and it just really got lost and so yeah and chuck promised it wouldn't happen and, and yeah the evidence go. is there and it didn't happen and that's my i would think even like you said though like on human you could have just played whatever the root notes and, and went with that. <laughs> but at the same time i would imagine you're playing during when you guys were recording that 
that had to impact. I don't know if it impacted what Chuck was doing, but it had to you and um, yeah. Sean yeah, yeah, yeah. had to be playing off each other. I'm sure even if you can't hear it, it's impacting probably. What yeah, was going I came along early in the session. I mean, there was yeah. still some unfinished songs, so I was there for a while, and I was able to learn Sean's style and meld the moving bass lines with his mm-hmm. vocabulary on the drums and everything. And and even in the studio when we were, because we had to record live back then, you know. Yeah. We were standing there like a like a band, and we record at the same time. And so um, Scott, the producer, would put the performance, he put the bass and drums on a cassette for the day, and then me and Sean were roommates in the hotel, and he had a cool cassette deck that had a speed wheel on it, and that was fancy for early 90s. So we were able to sit there and make notes of stuff and go back the next day and say, hey, we want to kind of go in and play it differently and fix this stuff. And, and we really put that stuff together. I mean... You know, he Sean had a lot of influences, and lost in the huge list. Rush was in there, but for me, Rush is a bigger influence. And I would tell him, I go, "This is our Getty and Neil, man. This is. I mean, we are speaking together with yeah. this stuff." And it was fun to do that, and and you know, enjoyed making that connection. And then it was just completely disregarded <laughs> once the guitar tank drove over and smashed yeah, it. Yeah. You know? So, did you and um, yeah. like, did you and Sean? kind of like know each other a little bit before that or was it just like no. you guys got together in there and then mm-hmm. it all happened um the the tour that happened at the end of 1990 was sepultura obituary sadis it was a big roadrunner production um i was on the phone with somebody from the label probably monte con or something and i i had said hey you know what's the chance to get a couple of my buddies bands to open up some of these gigs and i i'd recommended three bands a solitude eternus in Texas and uh, Oblivion up in Montreal and I said there's a cool band in Miami called Cynic and I had their had one of their demo mm. I don't know which one it was but it was Paul was singing kind of death metal style yeah. on the whole thing it was before all the the voice changes and stuff and um, and he made it happen somehow so Cynic got on the club in Miami it's called the Trash Can or okay. the th- maybe it was the Thrash Can maybe that's, <laughs> so, something like that yeah. and uh yeah, and so we met that night, and we went out, you know, midnight or one after the show's over, sitting at some whatever's open, like Denny's or whatever's open, 24 yeah. hours. And that's the first time that, you know, we met each other and talked and realized, like, wow, there's a depth of commonality here. I mean, we were into just way more than just fucking death metal. I mean, I was, more uh, than yeah. metal, more <laughs> than anything, like, just even just eclectic stuff. And it was just like, okay, we got something similar. So we started talking on the phone, and then, I mean, within a couple months, I was in Florida in his practice room working on the songs for Human. (laughs) That's cool. But that's how we pretty much got to know each other. Um, Actually, he put me up. He had a spare bedroom. Okay. So I would stay at Sean's and got to know his mom and his sister and anything. uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, me and Chuck were 23 at the time, and uh, Sean and Paul were both 19. Okay. I think Paul had turned 20, you know, going into the studio but yeah I mean Sean was teenager playing yeah. human drum lines and it was crazy <laughs> yeah so when you guys were doing all that together um, like throwing these things that hadn't been done in death or really in death metal that much yet was Chuck just like, like what was his reaction to that stuff was it were you guys going too far was it her you know what, what was his no you see stuff? Chuck now let me get to the end of the statement before anything happens. Chuck was not the best musician in the band, but he wanted it that way. 
he was confident in his writing and he knew if he surrounded himself with people that could play outside the lines it just elevated his product you know it was kind of weird back then as <coughs> we were you know young and and it's not like the other bands made fun of us, but we definitely weren't like Morbid Angel, DSI. We weren't uniform. We were very, you know, gypsy-like in a way, like <laughs> yeah, hippies okay. and, and you know, very different. But Chuck really loved that about musicians around him. He pushed individuality. He pushed being different. That's why his vocal style changed from album to album and why he wanted to get away from it because once he saw everyone started to do it, you know, he's just like, no, I don't, I didn't want to stay locked in the, you know. He, he, so he would address people that were in his lineup like that, like go for it, you know. And and there were times where he had to pull it back and say, "I love all the stuff you're doing. That's a little crazy, because I'm doing the, you know, rub the belly, pat the head, like trying to play this crazy riff and sing." And he goes, "With that crazy stuff going on, I lose my place." So we're like, all right, well, we'll hold it back there while you get that done. And then the next part, he goes, yeah, then let loose because then I'm not concentrating on something and I can feel, you you know. And so we would, it was give and take. It wasn't yeah. a total free for all, but man, I mean, the amount of times that he restrained were very little. I mean, most yeah. of the time it was like, go for it. And um, especially with Sean, you know, because Sean was putting accents and changing playing cross times and doing stuff that really fucked up the riff but chuck recognized that stuff um you know being a young guy he just thought like let's grind it out and you know obviously the first two albums are fucking classic so there's no no derogatory things to be said about that it's that's powerful stuff but i almost want to give a nod to james murphy i think was one of the first ones that kind of came in with this really you know high level chops and just yeah. able to oh yeah you know put a little different flavor and I know they, they especially at the end they didn't get along very well but you know Chuck had he butted heads with a lot of people but um, yeah so it wasn't be it wasn't meant to be for James Estate but I, I always give James the credit as maybe being one of the first musicians in his lineup that said hey it's okay to really reach higher and and you know the the song bases were the same. You know the, the the flow from leprosy to spiritual healing is very similar. The same bass player and drummer, but James came in and, and shredded. And I think from that point on, he's like, I'm gonna just you know reach for guys that want to play and yeah. go crazy. And um, yeah, so he just went in both feet and grabbed a couple of guys and me yeah. and. Which is cool, though, ego-wise, because he was able to kind of be like, I don't have to be the one yeah. that has to be the best player here. Yeah. he. There's a lot of insecurities he has. There's a lot of legendary stories about Chuck yelling yeah. and all this stuff out there. Um, but he wasn't completely that. No one's really completely anything, yeah. you know? Everybody's yeah. a mixture. And he did have his very secure attributes because the very first show me and Gene played with him in 93, we, we uh, finished in the studio doing individual. We immediately went to Europe play a short Easter festival run and he told us he's like you know the album's still being you know worked on we can't really play it it's nobody knows it so we're gonna have to play the older songs me and Gene were like yeah that's cool let's do it man gives us a chance to play in death you know it's awesome so the first show we played in Hamburg and now this didn't happen every night but the very first show it did and uh 
in in front of me there was a little crowd of metalheads chanting say us you know <laughs> yeah, supporting nice. me and then the same thing center stage we were looking up at gene dark angel you know yeah chant dark angel and we were, we were like oh no <laughs> this is the first show and it's yeah. like this is going on so we after the show we were in the dressing room we were like chuck we're sorry man that's like i didn't know that you know <laughs> we're here for you we're here to play and Chuck just smiled he goes dudes why do you think I got you yeah he goes they can chant whatever they want Their t- the ticket they bought says death on it right that's right I'm like oh <laughs> get it he was he didn't he was so confident in that he's like yeah. you could be from Metallica Slayer whatever you're playing death this yeah. is my realm right and so that was cool about it and then like I said it didn't it wasn't a big problem it didn't happen all the time it was yeah. just a weird first show we played it happened <laughs> but it, when we got that out of him we realized He's like, hey, this dude knows what he's doing. And it seems know? like he want. I mean, whatever he did, it was always like, what's going to be the best for his sound, the album, the song? Yeah. You know, so like even if he was getting rid of people, bringing people on, he wants someone who can play play it right or do what he yeah, wants. Yeah, when he vision, plays you know? side by side with guys like James Murphy, Paul Masvidal, Bobby Coble, you know, guys like this coming in, even Shannon Ham, good chops, all these yeah. guys. Um, he was he encouraged them to do what they did and then he would take his spot and just do his own style and you know he, his music vocabulary was completely self-taught he never had a lesson never you know learned fundamentals just monkey see monkey do he just basically wanted to be ace freely basically he just played ace freely stuff and uh but he was fine with it because everyone else in the band was doing what they should and then like we've kind of established they buy the death ticket they buy the death yeah. album Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool to really, that, you know, we benefit by living long and looking back and seeing that. And it's like, it's so rare, these visionaries, you know, guys that actually have a goal and they, they get there. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't live long enough to see it all the way through, but he set it in motion and he put that thing yeah. where he wanted it to be. When, um, when you did come, well, not back in, you did human, then you did an individual. What was that like? Because, you know, now you've got Gene, who's got a different style than Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine Chuck's got a whole different headspace at that point. What was that like compared to doing Human? Was it more challenging? Was it a little more technical of an album? What was, it, what was the difference? Um, <laughs> I guess the biggest thing was kind of the maturity and the, the vibe in the studio. With the Cynic guys, it was, I mean, like I said, they were like 19... And Sean had this kind of like, you know, this is 1991. So, like, weed was either good or bad. That's the two kinds we had. There was no, you know, purple fucking sprinkled dust and mama's muffin. There was none of that weird, you know, Bambi tail shit or nothing. It was good or bad. And if you got good, bud, you were happy. Well, Sean had this fucking scientifically grown shit. It was probably hydroponic (laughs) or something, you know. Okay. But for us back then, it was real futuristic yeah, yeah. you know and, and he kept it in the freezer and it just would develop these really strong crystals and a lot of orange hair and this weed just it was almost like taking acid every time we smoked it it was so strong and uh he, he lived in a lake community where everyone's backyard kind of has a dock and small little lake and we would just go out and lay in the rowboat drift around this lake like two in the morning stone just looking and talking about <laughs> shit just feel like man we are high as fuck yeah and that went on in the studio i mean Oh, that's there were and and the fact that we had to play live like we did a lot of takes we would play the songs over and over and even if it okay sure Sean fucked up everyone fucks up but the thing 
when the guitar or bass fucks up, you can continue on and go in and just drop that section mm-hmm. in and repair it. Where Sean had to play it from beginning to end, and even something you know, maybe it's a major mistake, and we'd stop, go back to the top, do it again. But even if it was just a taste thing, like oh, I missed that little splash thing, or you know, let me let me do another pass and catch that this time, and you know, so that guy was working hard to get the get all the takes done, and so every time we redo it. I was enjoying it because I was so loaded. <laughs> I was almost having like an out of body experience because it was the first time I use a, ever use a monitor mixer. Like normally you just plug your headphones in and you got to tell the guy in the control room window and it's got to be kind of agreed on. Like everyone's listening to the mix. And if you can't hear yourself that well, well, too bad. Yeah. Well, this monitor mixer was great because it had a volume for each guy and I just turned the guitar all the way off. I was already standing right next to the drum set. I could hear him fine. So basically, my entire mix was 100% bass guitar. And I'm standing there playing, just loaded on this orange crystal bud, <laughs> doing take after take. And every time it screw up, I'd be like, oh, cool. Now I know I'm going to do something different on this take. And it would build and build and build. And I almost thought it was like some kind of fusion-y Chris Squire because I had that kind of growly Rickenbacker sound. It was just, it was transporting. Like, it was just so weird. And it was kind of that, like just get loaded in jam vibe yeah. where we came back for individual two years later and for whatever reason in my life I had kind of tapered down a little I mean we still had the, the after session doobie but Gene didn't smoke at all and it was just the three of us it was just me Chuck and Gene well Scott you know running the board but it was just a different vibe we weren't getting really high all the time and um, Gene was our me and Chuck's age exactly all three of us were born in the same year and so it just had a little bit more grown-up feeling. You know, we were two years older. We were the same age. And with, without Gene really drinking or smoking. In fact, that's when he first started dieting. So it was more like a healthy yeah, trip, yeah. you know. And <laughs> and uh, so we just kind of took it a little more, well, I'll say we took it less serious. Yeah. And we still had fun, for sure. And we were sharing the A-B sides of Morristown with Morbid Angel. They were doing oh, really? something at that time. And they were on the late schedule. You know, they'd sleep in and show up late and work till the wee hours. Where we were like, show up in the morning and, you know, and uh, we would sneak in there sometimes and put on their tape. What are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? And, yeah. And it, the sounds coming out of it were so brutal. What were they I, working I, on that? Well, whatever early 93 recording would be. Covenant? Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty easy to peg it if you know the date yeah so they were working on that with pete's end of all they had Fleming rasmussen out from denmark working with tom morris and it was a big production they had a yeah. really big production and uh yeah and we would we would listen to it and we would just be like oh my god that's <laughs> so heavy yeah. and chuck would be like dude this makes my band sound like rush or triumph compared right. to that like yeah. that was yeah. just brutality it just sounded like demons killing each other trey solos <laughs> are just so demented yeah. you know we would just be like holy shit and we'd go in we'd the boat propeller and I'm doing Nobody all these knows. froggy slides and we're all the hell are we some kind of fusion outfit or something so that was kind of cool but um yeah a different vibe different session Andy you know we borrowed the King Diamond guitar player he was there for, I don't remember if it was three days five days yeah. whatever, but he only played a handful of solos yeah, yeah. and that's all he did and he was gone yeah. so we had him and it was real and I met him and and it was there but I mean I was a guest yeah right. purely guest he came in jammed and left and you know so that, that album felt more like a trio mm-hmm. just me Chuck and Gene and I guess maybe because of that too 
just having the triangle with just one less guy for silliness. And so human was, you know, really elastic and, and individuals like this freight train. I mean, you can hear that too, though. The difference. Really? It does, I mean, an individual just sounds more, well, it sounds a little more focused. It sounds a little bit more like, uh, there's so much going on and it's just, but it's, it's not as, uh, I feel like human is a little more fluid in a way. Where individual, although the bass makes the individual pretty fluid because it's got that. Yeah. Going around. This is my question too. I, whenever I listen to that, I think about how you, you know, you're not playing. I don't, I'm not a bassist. I don't know the terms for this, but like that root note or just following obviously the lines of the guitar or whatever. But even more than that, you, you play like around the notes to my ears. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd say like out of the pocket or, or, or what, but like, how do you do that where you're 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 doing something different than the guitar or something around a drum or whatever? But you still have to be the rhythm section. You still have to hold that down. Well, I would I would learn the riff from Chuck, so I was aware of you know the note groupings and the modulations, like where it would go, <clears throat> and then I would apply the basic ingredients, and I would just and then that so I would take the batch of notes of whatever rhythm pattern was on, and say okay now I have to assemble this to match Gene's you know crazy rhythmic choices and stuff and then so my notes would a lot of the bass lines came out of hearing what the drums are doing but the note selection was based on what the riffs are doing mm-hmm. like i give an easy analogy like you know the drums are this the, the foundation you put it down and then you got this big old pile of blocks mm-hmm. they're the riffs like where do the riffs go this riff goes here this one goes here and they're sitting on this foundation. Well, the base is like the mortar that just sticks okay. the blocks to the foundation. Yeah. So I was, you know, in the old days, the bass and the drums would go first, you know, and just lock down and then everything would flow right. around on top. Well, <clears throat> it's around this time, the early 90s started to flip over where the guitar riff became the the main thing, the unwavering thing. It would play the riff four times, go yeah. to the next one. It was like this very, you know, rigid thing. And so when the drums would come in, and if you get somebody good like Sean or Gene that knows how to throw different accents and make variety oh, yeah. and not just chug along on this kind of, you know, rhythmic, you know, mundane path, mm-hmm. that opened it up for me yeah. to find all the crannies and all the little spots between. Like, okay, like even though the guitar is just this buzzing sound, the drums are, are doing this. So in between I could find, and it was like this kind of little... So the bass, we would record the bass last then from that point on. Yeah. And, and that way... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of the a lot of the, the melodic things you hear come from the bass. I heard that in Gene's drum parts. Mm. And then, and of course, it's not just wherever on the neck. Like I said, I was limited to whatever the riff was doing. Playing in key is, I guess, the proper way to just say it. Just yeah. playing in key. <clears throat> but, but that's how it would go. Yeah. Know, just... And then even if I reached out for something really weird, you know, um, Chuck would hear it and say, oh, that's cool. I think you could do even more. Really? Yeah. Okay. So then the pressure was on. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> I thought I saw, thought of something pretty decorative there, you know. It's yeah. like, and now he wants more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's cool, I always kept that with me, you know. And I just remember, like, you know, here's a, an iconic songwriter in this kind of genre. And, uh, and what I learned from him is, fuck it go yeah. for it yeah. just go for it you know be different I, you know that's what he saw in me and Gene and Sean and everybody he, he saw that difference that thing like 
I want that. You know, I want that guy's different. I want it. I don't want right. some guy that plays, you know, paint by numbers. That's everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and so I was already one of those guys, but Chuck, you know, solidified it and it propelled me to just like, okay, huh. Now I feel like I belong. Right. And so poor 25-year-old me who played individual top patterns is hard out. 55-year-old me is just kind of <laughs> always looking back at that guy going like, man, I'm never going to outdo that again or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, control, control the night. When you, by the time you got to that one, mm-hmm. what are like different? It had to be such a different experience. I know Chuck at that point. He was doing treatments. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he was a lot more sick. You know, he had all that going on. I mean, what was that like trying to record that album? Mm-hmm. That going on. I mean, well, so I gave you a little sneak peek into the Scream Bloody Gore rehearsal days. So I'm practicing, you know, in a little bedroom with him every day, and that's where we developed our our chemical or whatever our bond. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he went. Back to Florida and did the next two records completely with that. But human, obviously, you know, I was involved, individual, very involved. He called me back for Symbolic, and I was there for the pre-production and all the songwriting. Didn't pan out to make the studio date. Um, in this case, I was, we were having our first kid, and it just, yeah, you know, I was like, I got to be there for the birth. And he's like, oh, I don't know, it might overlap. And so it, it just didn't work. But the reissue of that album has some of the demo tracks, and you could hear my playing on there so you, the, the evidence is there that I was that he called me and then he did the same thing for Sound of Perseverance when I met Shannon and Richard for the first time and in fact I went to Florida two separate times we did half the album on the first trip and half the album on the second and we we're just just recording ourselves in the rehearsal room and just building it up getting ready for the studio and then it was a totally different situation why I didn't make that studio date much more uh, easy going between me and Chuck on that Okay. A little bit less friction. It was just basically I had a full time job. I couldn't. He, I was able to manage to get the time off to do the studio, but then he had like a shit ton of touring plans. I'm like, too much. You know, I got this job. I got a four bedroom house and cars. And I was like, I, I could do a little bit. And he goes, Well, it means a lot to me to have the same four guys on the CD to be on the stage. So if you can't go do the stage, I'm gonna have to find somebody that can. And so at least you know that was agreed on between us. It was a little bit less friction than being the first one to have a kid you know yeah you can't get it unless you're in but you see the line though you know i mean i was always coming back and, yeah. and i was his go-to guy and, and we just worked well together i think i was just I, I didn't ever put him off i think we just had a cool rapport and so when he finishes up the touring that you said you were at the, the sound of perseverance touring cycle in 98 he goes the band's over um, in fact, he ended the band after symbolic touring cycle, form control denied, and the record companies he was shopping to were saying, like, this is a big chance, you know, leaving this huge band behind and starting this new thing with this style of singing, maybe, that a lot of people will like. So they said, if you give us a death record, that gives us a sure, you know, return on our investment, and then we'll budget mm-hmm. your new project. So he put control denied back on hold and fired up death again for the album that should not be yeah you know? yeah yeah <laughs> but for I, when young people hear that they're fucking incensed because a lot of people started with that record yeah that's yeah. like the entrance to the death world for them mm-hmm. so to them it's like how dare you <laughs> yeah. that's sacred yep. i'm like hey i was there <laughs> but um you know so he i'm out there for the sound of perseverance uh pre-production sessions and um 
then he goes on and does that touring. Okay, so there we are. So Scott doesn't work out, and he calls me back. Ah, the bass player didn't work out. I got the album totally done. I need you to do this as fast as you can. I'm like, oh, okay, well, send me the tape. You know, let me listen to it for a couple weeks, absorb it, get the feel of it. He goes, no, I don't have a couple weeks. He goes, I need you to fly out tomorrow. I'm like, what? What? He goes, we're past the deadline. He goes, we are past the deadline. I need you to put the bass on this record because the, the record company's waiting for it. So if you could like hurry up and get to Florida and do it, <laughs> we could you know mix you in and get this thing out. I said, wow, okay, well, I can do it without knowing the stuff. I said, but you know, I'm going to lean on you a lot because I've never heard it. You know, and he goes, oh, that's the other thing. I won't be in Florida. I'm in New York getting radiation and you have to do it by yourself. I was like, holy crap. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, just jump in, play. And that stuff's over the top, man. Yeah. You can't just, yeah. you can't just, oh, uh, what key are you in? Okay, let me just, no, right. you don't just jump in and just, you know, pound around and the key changes on that stuff. And so um, it turned out that Shannon, who fortunately I had met already during the pre production sessions, was open to let me stay at his place a few days and after he got off work we would just go over the yeah. stuff so he taught it to me um i went to the studio a little bit better than half prepared or around three quarters knowing the stuff but there was still a lot of stuff where he's like man this is my part and that's not what the bass and drums are doing i don't know what chuck's part is okay skip it just you know and so there was a lot of holes in the songs where i, where I told jim i was like i haven't learned these parts because we crash coursed on what Shannon knew, and then now I'm here. And Jim was like, "Don't worry, relax, man. We'll just we'll figure it out." And we constructed it together. And and Chuck had told me once again, "Don't hold back." In fact, his his exact words were, "Make it more spidery." Really, the bass lines more yeah, yeah. crawling, more reaching out <laughs> and stuff. And I said, "Okay, so you need you need some ac action on this. Then you don't just." Want, like you said, they just don't want to play the riff. Yeah. You got to. So then I had to learn Richard Christie's style by looking oh, wow. at a mixing board. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> I got to jam with Sean, I got to jam with Gene, but Richard, it's like I just hear it, and it is a really right on the edge style. And I'm like, oh my god, am I supposed to do this? But uh, so that was it. It was just me and Jim in that studio. So that really shrunk down. No guidance, no guy sitting there saying, yes, do that. No, don't do that. Just trusting ourselves to say, Chuck's going to like this. But he was a phone call away because basically getting the radiation treatment, he said it, it was, I don't know what it was exactly, an hour or two out of his day. And other than that, he just had a little apartment that he would just rest at. So he wasn't really doing a lot, you know, but his body was getting pummeled, you know, but he said, call me anytime. You know, I'm basically probably just laying down. And so we would call him, and um, there was this one time, and uh, you've seen that documentary Felipe put out. Yeah, this is my yeah. story there where I was really worried that I had overdone it. It was, a cr I don't know what song it was, but the bass was really going off. And Jim's like, he goes, well, I know you. And if, if Chuck thinks it's a little too much, he goes, I know the spots where we can mm. trim it down, you know, leave some of them and trim some back. That way, overall, it doesn't seem as bad or whatever. Okay. I said, well, we'll see what he says, you know. We put the phone up to the speaker, played the whole song, and when I come back, you know, I hear that static long distance, and I'm like, fuck, we lost the signal, and then I hear him sniffling, I hear the, and I said, dude, what's up, and he's just kind of crying, and he goes, that's the best get well card I've ever heard in my life, and me and Jim were just like, high five, we're like, dude, <laughs> you know, heavy. it was heavy, <laughs> I remember, I remember that, and I was like, okay, I'm on the right path, 
He's trusting you to say that, though. Well, I right away, uh, we we were both like fucking. We turned around and we were like, oh my god, we were like, god damn it. You know what we're doing here? We're we're so focused and is that an F sharp? You know what? Is that a G? What is? We're so in the project, and then all of a sudden we realize, fuck, our buddy's getting his fucking brain zapped with radiation. We're like, yeah, wow, it just. It was, I don't want to say it wasn't important because it was very important to Chuck. Yeah. And so that made it important to us. It's like, we're here doing his project right. and it's lifting him up. So if that's the least we can do, we'll just continue on putting these baselines on here and at least give them that feeling like, okay, I trusted them to finish this and it's coming out great. And he felt good about it. He felt very good about it. And, you know, yeah, it was heavy. It was, it was hard for us to deal with it, you know, because we we saw him enter a type of treatment and at the end of the you know projected cycle they'd say sorry there's nothing we can do for you tie your loose ends up you had a few months yeah fuck you he goes to a different doctor okay we're gonna start this new treatment he'd reach the end of it oh i'm sorry it didn't work tie up your loose ends you you have a short time and nope Boom, and he just kept jumping. That's why his medical bills just fucking went crazy. Yeah. That's why there was all those benefits and auctions. Right, so yeah. The debt amount was huge that he left behind because he wouldn't give up. And you admire that. He, two and a half years he fought that. And every doctor gave him a handful of months, three months, six months, mm-hmm. whatever. And he stretched it out to two and a half years fighting that yeah. thing. Um, but there was a point where he he got a little better and he wrote a batch of songs for the next Control Denied. He went in the studio, recorded with Richard, got the drums done. And he was recording himself in small pieces at home to where he could, he was losing his uh, dexterity, mm. but he could do it in short spurts. So he was, he was doing that home little by little. And we got to the point on the phone where we nailed down a, a time, I think it was in May, and we we're talking about, oh, cool, that's barbecue weather, and I'll definitely be here this time. You know, I'm not going to be up in New York. I'm like, dude, I'm going I'm to stay there a month. Like, even if it only takes us four days to do the songs, I'm going to hang out with you. and okay cool you know because we always like to go canoeing in this park by his house it was the same park we did the philosopher video very jungly yeah and we always like to you know go out and i said we're gonna do we're gonna do some shit dude we're gonna hang out we're gonna eat we're gonna go hiking and all the stuff we like to do and he's like cool um and then he called me and he goes hey hold off on the on the travel plan right now uh I haven't been doing so good. I haven't touched my guitar in a while. I'm going to go see this specialist and see what's up. And then from that point, he just degraded until he was gone by the end of that yeah. year. So we were that close to me going there and putting the bass on Richard's drums with whatever guitar level he was at. But that's as far as that album went. Yeah. But, uh, that that's was crazy. it. That was the end of it. So yeah. from from uh, mutilation demo completion to entering Scream Bloody Gore until... The final lineup he left behind, I kind of bookended yeah. the whole story. Which I feel like a lot of people don't know, so it's cool to hear that. You know that you were. Yeah, I, at first I kept everybody. it to myself because I'm like, look, he's my friend. Yeah. You want to talk about the studio? You want to talk about being on tour? The bass, in particular, that's all music, public yeah. stuff. And I, I kind of kept, I kind of kept the stuff private about me and Chuck. But now that we're so twenty years past everything, I'm like, yeah, I feel good saying it now because we were. We were good friends. Yeah. You know, and from from pre-20s up until I think he was 34, when, he, 34 cool. when he died. Yeah. And so we we kept it off and on and for the most part on during that yeah. whole thing in and out. And I was this weird, you know, returning factor. Yeah, that right. came, appeared and then went away. And, and none of it really bothered me because it felt like 
you know, I could have obviously been on some ball against Santa Perseverance if things worked a different way, but it doesn't bother me because it was always just like, oh, that's my buddy, and he's using this guy this time, and then he calls me for the next time, and it was just, it was never like anything political or anything. It was just, yeah. just my guy in Florida, and but yeah, so now I feel feel like you know letting it out. I mean, yeah, we, we cooked a lot of food together, went adventuring <laughs> together, and. Stayed up till four in the morning, watch. And back then, Discovery Channel was like the cool, you know, like when it first came out, it had all the cool science shows <laughs> yeah, yeah, and nature yeah. shows. And and just like MTV actually had music videos when it first came out. Now it's a piece of crap. But we would just we would just get high and eat popcorn and just sit in his living room and just trip on life. You know, yeah, and, just, yeah. and it was just that kind of friend, you know, just like, we just like doing shit together. Yeah. So, uh, I... So I know, you know, everybody always says, well, what would he want? Well, you know, what would mom say if she was here? What would grandma think? You know, everybody, yeah. you know, imposes their own. Like, well, I feel good about what we're doing because I do know Chuck. And um, we all had run-ins with him on tours where maybe the tour was getting a little long. And we just decided to go in, you know, in the club during the day and goof around and play funny versions of the songs. And one of those happened on the individual tour in 93 and then one incident that like Bobby said in that documentary too happened on a symbolic tour um, where Bobby said they had a band meeting and, and he spoke up and Chuck said you're you're conjuring a dick or something like <laughs> Chuck lingo Chuck's li we could do a totally separate podcast on Chuck lingo he had his own way of talking but uh, when we would fool around and just and there was no reason behind it. It was just, we're playing serious every day. It's like, it felt good to just do funny versions, you know, play a, play a goofy drum beat instead of a brutal beat, just, yeah. just to let off steam work. But he did not like that. Yeah, he would always tell us like, that's my bread and butter, man. That's my life. It came from here. Yeah. And when I see people doing that, you're disrespecting me. And yeah. we're like, all right, we didn't mean to, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I see it, you know? And, <laughs> and so I know that with the arsenal we have with Bobby, and Gene and myself and so and the kid Max like we're giving it our all and we play it the way it should be played where we all check the old you know studio recordings we referenced what we did back then and we're playing it true to how it is you know and whether and we're doing songs off all the records so there's songs that none of us recorded on original record but we're playing it that way yeah or we play it the way that it evolved as the tours went because different, so many different players, the song takes on little changes and stuff just based on personalities inflecting and, you know, causing little changes and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, as far as, the, like I was saying, like, what would he think? I, I think he would endorse this fully because we're his guys that he brought in, he trusted us in that period of time. And I think just playing the songs that he wrote and, you know, us trying to replicate them the best way possible I think he would be like it's great because the fan reaction has been amazing there's all the old silver hair guys oh I saw you guys and you know I saw yeah. you play with Pestilence I saw you play with you know and then there's the the huge batch of oh I wasn't old enough to ever see death live you know you know 98 was the, the end so unless you were born in the late 70s yeah. you weren't yeah. old enough to go and there's a lot of people that never saw it and they were like we this is the closest thing we can get and it sounds you know we get a lot of compliments how it does sound recognizable the real deal and so 
think we're on a good mission. I don't know if that's kind of pat myself on the back, <laughs> but it's more of uh, addressing like, you know, yeah, like like doing what Chuck would want. Mm-hmm. If if we were to call him up on the you know the yeah. extraterrestrial phone and say, what do you want us to do? Say, hey, just don't just don't <laughs> goof around and play my shit goofy. You know, do it right, yeah, yeah, yeah. make people happy and. Yeah, I, th- I think we covered that. Yeah, I think I think you'd be all right. Anyone's gonna know, man. Yeah, it seems like you'd be the guy. Um, last question before I let you go. Sure. Unrelated. Now, I just got to ask. I know you played on that last Megadeth album. <laughs> what was that like going into a, a completely? I mean, Testament. It's not like an unfamiliar territory doing that kind of stuff, but yeah. much different. What was that like stepping into something like such a huge band? Just being like, I gotta fill some shoes. I gotta come in here and I gotta adapt. I'm sure I gotta yeah. change. I mean, was that like? riff-wise, you know, Megadeth, you know, the riff style. So it wasn't like a over-the-top, brutal, technical death metal band that, you know, doesn't ever repeat any line. You know, the, the, the riff information was in my wheelhouse, obviously. But what I realized is <laughs> from my background and my road that took me there, I wasn't equipped all the way to being in, a, in an arena that big. It was, the, the pressure was huge. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And maybe a lot of that was self-imposed, but that kept me on my best behavior. And I I put my nose to the grindstone and, you know, I wanted to, you know, leave a good mark. I wanted, I wanted Dave to be proud of his decision. You know, he picked me and he told me on the phone, he didn't really have a list. Mm. He's like, if you can't, I don't have really? the two and three written down. He goes, I got to kind of start over. Yeah. And so when I got off the phone, I'm like, holy shit, that's huge. Like, I'm it. Like, what happened? So I, I tried to stop saying, you know, why me? And say, okay, it's me. Let's go. Let's, yeah. let's do this the yeah. right way. And so it was brutal. But the cool thing was is he treated me awesomely. He gave me absolutely all the room to learn the stuff because that's another session. Um, I can't say I didn't hear the song before I got there because he did send me a folder and I could listen to the songs, but it was, I mean, even just asking me to do it, they were already at that point. So there wasn't like, yeah, four months later, we'll get, no, it was like, as soon as you say, yeah, get here. Wow. So I didn't have any time to sit down and work out anything. Um, and I didn't really want to anyway. I wanted to, Mm. um, I mean, it's Megadeth, so it wasn't. You know, you weren't going to get the individual thought patterns yeah, based on that album. Don't do the spider thing. No, I'm not that naive. I know, yeah. I'm like, I'm going into Megadeth. I know more or less what he wants. He wants Megadeth base. But he did choose me. So I'm like, let's see what he's, let's see what he wants. You know, so let me just go into this completely unprepared, you know, and see what he wants. And he was fucking great like you know a lot of people and I I heard it and and you probably have heard it you know Dave's stories are out there and everything Um, my experience I can't validate any of that because I was in the studio for like 13 days and gone and for every single day I was there he was awesome human being I mean we got along great we played great he he pushed me and he pulled me and he wrung me out but when it was done he let me know it was done it was a big high five and a hug and we had a celebratory meal like finally you know i wanted to cook for him but when you're there doing bass it's like you got to do bass and so i so one night i managed to they were working on something else and i cooked something so we had a nice de giorgio feast yeah yeah but uh 
But it, it went very well. It went very well. He was very generous, very gracious, gave me space to do stuff. And, you know, and I told him flat out, look, I want to use a pick. I know I need to use a pick. I said, but I'm not super proficient with it. It's mm. not my strong point. I'm not a predominantly pick player. I, bear, I, I break one out on a Testament song here or there. It's more like a novelty. Well, there's a sonic benefit to it. Like, like there's a song called Electric Crown. It's just got oh, yeah. this, this, this yeah. steady rock kind of thing. And I like, I like grinding it with the pick on that one. There's a couple other here and there that, so, so yeah, so 1% of the time, yeah. I use a pick. Yeah. And say this, I used to use a song, uh, use a pick for one song for just the effect of it, you know, but very little. And I told him that. And I said, you know, hopefully we don't have this, you know, this big hole in the road or whatever. And he said, however it comes out of you, that's what we need. And so I did a little mixture. Um, a lot of the speed stuff, I could I could get that thing going and, okay. and then nail it down. And, and that was the majority of it. So it was good. But when there was a lot of string skipping and broken rhythms and stuff, and I'm like, ah, and then I'm showing like, okay, this dude don't play with a pick all yeah. the time. Then I would just, you know, and, it, and he didn't stare at me or nothing. So sometimes I'd put this pick down and I'd play <laughs> it and I'd see, I'd see that nod like, okay, that sounds good. So there, there's a few parts on there where I got to do my my thing like that. But But that's how he was. Like, you know, whatever works for you. And so that whole, like, was he a tyrant in the studio? Did he yeah. force you? Did he make all these things? Like, <laughs> I hear these, but did he make? No, he was fucking great to work with. So yeah, it was, it turned out to be cool. It was, it was, it was a fucking amazing experience. I had to like pinch myself when I drove away from that studio. Like, holy crap. Yeah. I did it. I made it out alive. And, uh, yeah. but yeah. I said that was self-imposed. I don't mean, you know, made it out alive. They, they made sure I stayed alive. They took great care of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, the management team, Dave, his engineer, Chris, and his, and his uh, assistant, Brian, they were, everyone was awesome. And I got nothing but good to say about that session. It was, like I said, two weeks in and out. Yeah. Poof. Um, but it went great. That, and, that's uh, awesome. And, I, and I, I broke the bubble, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I went, gone, yeah, I went up into the big league. That's, I mean, <laughs> what can be better? Yeah. And it, and it was right in my normal, you know, I'm a session guy. I'm a... I drop in, play, and I'm out, and, yeah. and it worked. That's what I do, and so that's what make it Ethcot. They got the the better side of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congrats on that, man. That's Thanks, awesome. Man. It's a big accomplishment. So, all right, man. I won't take any more time. Appreciate it, big time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, see you on the stage, I guess. Cool. Thanks for having <laughs> me and all the interest. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you let me spew all those old stories. Uh, out. That's why exactly.